Welcome back to the Project Delta podcast with Coach Peter and myself, Coach Connor, from Team ATP Performance, where we discuss all things bodybuilding, strongman, and fitness-related. Um, Pete, how are you today? Dude, I'm killing it. I'm killing it. It's a good day. I'm back at it. I'm, I'm home from not being out of town. It's good. And work was awesome today, so it's been a good day. How about you? Awesome. I'm doing pretty well. I was telling you before the podcast, it's going to be a big storm here tomorrow. So everyone's uh, geared up for that. We're all going to hunker down. I think since we had that big hurricane here in the fall, everyone's everyone's a little bit gun shy to go out during a sort of storm or natural type of weather events. So <laughs> safe, safe to say we'll probably be home bearded and so tomorrow. Here. Have you ordered or bought all the extra bread and milk already? <laughs> or what it what do you what do you stock up on you know you know what's big here and i mean i actually didn't buy anything for this i got all, all the things i need but the stereotypical thing at least for here in the maritimes which is like east coast canada is people call it storm chips so they go to the store they buy their potato chips and they're called storm chips so like huh. they'll, they'll, they'll say on the radio like oh go get your storm chips you know we got this big storm coming and that, that goes for like, you know, if we have a hurricane, if we have, um, you know, a winter storm, uh, a tropical storm, whatever's going on, you know, you got to get the storm chips. Amazing. Yeah. It, from where, where I am, it's like bread and milk. What, and why get milk? Why do people stock up on milk? It goes bad when your power goes out. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it, interesting how um, we have different food items that pe people go after. I think the the, the, the chips things make sense. So you're just going to want some. Makes sense. You know, they're going to stay good for a while, right? Yeah, you're not risking your fridge by opening it up to get it when the power's out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's dry, whatever. Brilliant. <laughs> the closest thing I eat to chips are uh, rice crackers. Um, actually, that's something I eat like year round, even on contest prep. Like there's this. This is kind of like independent type grocery store and they sell these um, packages of rice crackers. Uh, it's about 85 grams of carbs in a package and they're only a dollar each. So they're fairly cheap as far as food supply goes. And that's like one of my favorite things to eat like post-workout or whatever. Uh, and obviously it's super convenient. You don't have to meal prep or anything. You just open up the package and eat it, right? So what is, I, I immediately Googled rice cracker because I had no idea what it was. And I am no closer to finding out what it is. Um, I see a lot of like a, a lot of Chinese uh, rice crackers of some sort, and then rice cakes. What is, what is a rice cracker? Because I honestly have no clue. Uh, what 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 to compare it to? So like you have your basic crackers. Like when you when you when I say cracker, what comes to mind? Like like a Ritz? Uh, for me, like a Ritz circle or yeah. maybe a saltine. Yeah, so it's I guess it's probably more like a saltine type type cracker, but it's made from rice. Uh, so like, I, I think uh, the ingredients are just like, the first one is rice, and then it has some like, um, oleic um, oils or whatever, um, and some, so, some other seed oils, basically. Um, so it's, it's super whole. I know. Yeah, yeah. Dangerous, right? <laughs> <laughs> I too like to live dangerously. Yeah. Uh, I know the nutrition is about in a 30 gram serving, we're talking like, 25 carbs, 1.5 grams of fat, like very low protein, two to three grams of protein. So it uh, fits the bill in terms of like a high carb, low fat, you know, uh, carbohydrate source. 
little fiber or two. Um, Do you top them or is it just a like a dry snack sort of thing? So I'll usually have like a protein shake with them. Like, so it'd be like a post-workout might be a package of rice crackers, a banana and uh, a whey protein shake and almond milk. And I, I, and usually I'll eat that on my drive to work. So I did sketchy thing. I eat while I drive, but I, you know, I got my system, you know, made this drive a thousand times, but um, basically, you know, I eat my first meal uh, around 5.36 AM and then as I'm driving to work, I have my meal number two about, you know, 8.35, 8.40 at work by nine. Second meal's in, no pressure, have to be eaten until lunchtime. So it makes it easy. Sweet. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll show you the package sometime at the rice crackers, but super convenient. Or, or we can get uh, Joe to um, put it in, uh, in post right here yeah. in the video on YouTube. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> That's right. We're going to give you more editing work to do. Yeah, I'm sure that we'll just, he'll edit all of that out instead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Coach Pete, you know, you just came back from the Arnold. I know you had some responsibilities there. Uh, so I'm, I'm, oh, you get the hat. So I'm yes. curious to hear, you know, what all went down, what were the highs, what were, what were if there were any lows, what were the lows? Um, give me the whole, give me the whole picture, man. All right, so I was at the Arnold last weekend. So it was the, I, I basically was there from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I left Monday morning. Um, I didn't really volunteer much on Thursday. That was just kind of like a drive up and then um, get my lane, use my lanyard to get into the convention and just kind of check out everyone that was setting up and check out the strongman area and the, the main stage. Um, but yeah, I got there to get my lanyard and I talked to, because I was actually a scorekeeper for, World strongest firefighter and scorekeeper for um, uh, amateur strongman world championships. So lightweights, heavyweights, middleweights, open uh, for men and for women. And then the world strongest firefighter was just um, women, middleweights, and heavyweights. And on day two, it was all one open class. Um, and I'll kind of get a little bit more into detail on that uh, in a little bit. But yeah, so day one, I got there. And, you know, to get my lanyard so I can get in and out of the actual convention, um, like the, the floor itself. <laughs> and one of the volunteers was like, oh, how's it going, Peter? Have you built the spreadsheets yet? And I was like, what? Because <laughs> uh, the person who, was, uh, who invited me to come down was supposed to build them and I was just supposed to run them. Uh. And fortunately, I am very good at spreadsheets. So I was able, like, but we worked together like that next morning for day one to build and start the spreadsheets, but we had no time for stress testing those. So it was like, it was a mess uh, day one. So it was a uh, day one was um, world's strongest firefighter. So there was 150 plus competitors uh, that we were doing scores for. And so I was printing out all the, all the heats, all the runs for every event for all the score, well, all the, um, the scribes and judges and announcer. Uh, and that was really fun, but it was, between stress testing, getting the data in, getting all things printed, it was uh, it was incredibly stressful for the first four hours. And then there was a 15 to 20 minute break where I ate a few uh, six inch subs from Subway, which was glorious. And then it was uh, amateur um, preliminaries that day as well. So we had another 300 uh, or 350s. So it was in, it was an enormous number of amateurs going through as well. So it was a, that was a five 
or 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. day volunteering. So that was that was really intense. So like I basically remember very little of Friday. And then on Saturday, we didn't start until noon or yeah, volunteers didn't start till noon, but lifting started at one. And that was for the finals for World's Strongest Firefighter, uh, which I've got more. I'm excited to talk about that in a second. But because we didn't start until noon and I had my early access lanyard, I can go in before the VIPs and everything. So I was just walking around the vendors while they were setting up, chatting with them. And I basically went to all the booths I wanted to, where there was like maybe 40, 50 people walking around that um, were actually like doing the same thing I was. Everyone else was just there working. So it was really cool. I got to see a, a bunch there and buy all the stuff I wanted to without a crowd. So that was awesome. But later that day for uh, fire, the world's strongest firefighter, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a huge sponsor of that. Uh, he actually started it apparently a few years back on, I can't, I can never remember the name of the pier in LA. Um, but anyway, it's right by Muscle Beach. It's not too far from that. It's just, it's a big pier. There's like carnival rides on it. Uh, Santa Monica. Yes. I finally remembered it. Um, but yeah, on, on that, that spot is where it was originally hosted. So for the finals on the last event, he actually came up on stage um, to kind of watch all the competitors. And because I was a scorekeeper, I was only like seven feet away from Arnold. So I got to be between him and his security, which not a lot of people get to do with the Arnold. They are very good at their security there. Um, but, you know, I was part of the part of the team. So I was able to like be up there and I didn't get muscled out. Uh, and it was really cool to kind of, you know, hear him speak and then see him right there. Um, Cause I never, I didn't actually realize he was going to come on stage for that. So it was really cool. And I'm, and I'm glad I picked a space on stage uh, cause I could have sat really anywhere for that scorekeeping. Um, but the cool thing is, is because, you know, Arnold, you know, is the name of the Arnold. Um, we were definitely over time on that event. And so we were supposed to get off because Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler had a, um, they had like a seminar to do on that stage afterwards. So they're just, they're waiting backstage for Arnold to get off. And it's not like anyone in their right mind would, would hurry Arnold. So he was just up there doing his thing. And then like, I get off stage and I turn around and there's Ronnie Coleman right there, just hanging out. And then Jay Cutler a few feet away from him. And I'm like, what? No I said, there, I'm like five feet away from each of these people right now. And I just saw Arnold. This is wild. So it was a really, really cool weekend. But unfortunately, that was most of the bodybuilding legends that I got to see. I didn't get to see anyone current because I was actually volunteering through all the main main events. Um, but it was awesome. It was an awesome weekend. And I'm definitely going to try to do that every year if I get invited back. Awesome. That sounds like it was like a great experience. Um, and apart from the spreadsheet mishap, you know, pretty much, you know, um, about as, as good as it can get. One, one question that came to my mind is like, with the world's strongest firefighter, like how do the events for that differ from more typical strongman events? They were very, very similar. Um, and, that, and that wasn't by accident. That's why we run it. Um, but so let's see, I actually don't remember offhand what the first events were. Um, preliminary events. I'm actually drawing a blank on what those ones were. I was, that day is such a blur. I remember only numbers. Um, but the second day, because we, we had that a lot more kind of like well done. They had a sandbag carry uh, for max distance. And you went, they went 30 feet, turned around. Um, I don't know, it was three bags. They had three bags and they got heavier. 
uh, each each run. So they would carry one, go 30, and then 30 back, pick up a heavier one. I think there were like two – I think it was 200, 250, and 300 each. Um, and so they were doing that. And we were on the main stage for this. So this was the like the Arnold State, the same one that the body orders are on for the Open. Um, so it's it's a beautiful stage to be on. It's super cool. And they're carrying these bags, and they're trying to go as fast as they can. And they're diving at the absolute end of the stage to get that little bit of extra time and that little bit of distance where they're not carrying this heavy bag. And they're like launching these bags and these huge human beings, like 300 pound dudes, all muscle, are launching themselves to the very, very end of the stage. And you can see the, um, uh, so the ADL guys, which are like, um, uh, like stream they're the people that do the streaming for uh like our events and they've got this big sound like all this expensive sound equipment right there and you can just see them like because <laughs> they're they're really nervous that these dudes are going to fly off the edge of the stage because they're like they're really really hitting it at the end um so it's pretty common to see sandbags um in strongman it's a huge huge event right now it's at like official strongman games it's at world strongest man or at least it has been pretty often uh nationals had it all kinds of anyway sandbags are super huge and they had it there too very popular event and it's something that a lot of people can train so if you've got someone over in europe because uh, it is world strongest so people are coming from all of, all over the world compete um it's easy to get a sandbag somewhere so there's cerberus in the uk and the us they've got great sandbags there's rogue that you can get those anywhere um, so it's really, really easy to train for that. And that was something they wanted to focus on is because uh, this is the first time it was open to all firefighters. So there wasn't like, it wasn't like an invite list. Um, so they wanted to make sure that there was, there was stuff that they could train for in some reasonable way in their home country or hometown. Um, yeah, I, I was curious, like to qualify for it, do you have to be like a full-time employed firefighter or is just like a volunteer firefighter can do it? Like just any firefighter can it seemed to be all active firefighters at least. So I don't know if I saw any retired, um, but that's really, that's actually all I really know. Cause I actually showed up and I didn't realize I was volunteering for that one too. Yeah. Uh, which is totally fine. That was not a problem. Um, but yeah, I did, I knew very little about it before um, I landed. I, I, since I'm volunteering next year, I'm going to know a lot more about it. Um, but the last event was um, fire hydrant load. So they had to pick a fire hydrant up and load it onto a platform. It was, yeah, looked like it was maybe was 45 if, inches. If there was any mm -hmm. firefighting type implements within within the events, right? Yeah, yeah. So they had that one. They also had an ambulance uh, tire deadlift. That was uh, one of the other events on day two. Um, so that was uh, set weight for each person, and they did max reps for that. And so it was basically an 18-inch deadlift with an axle. Uh, it was super cool. Uh, this is all streamable. Um, they they live stream that whole thing, so you can find it on YouTube. Um, but the fire hydrant thing was really cool because one, fire hydrants are very very difficult to get. Um, they're like collectible or something like that, and cities don't like to get rid of them. So they just, I mean, it's a huge piece of metal. It lasts for like ever, as long as you just really paint it well. Um, but we got enough of those to do this, and we and they're not heavy enough, so we had to. Um, weld plates to the bottom of it bottom of them so it was like a bunch of tens inside and then 25 stacked on the bottom to make them heavy enough that was a scary event too because those are big pieces of metal and they're top heavy 
Um, but yeah, so it, that, that was cool. So those are the, those are the main events from day three is the deadlift, the hydrant, uh, carry uh, or, um, load and the, um, sandbag. Nice. When I was still working as a paramedic, um, they, they have this obstacle course type thing called like, it's like, I think it's called quote unquote fire fit, like a fire fit challenge thing or whatever. Um, I don't know if it's a Canadian thing, but like they had the course set up here and they're like, oh, we're making teams because I think it's something you can do as just um, like if you're a firefighter or a paramedic, you can you can register for it and you can do it like at a national type level. And it's like basically like an obstacle course where you like run up uh, a staircase and then you have to pull like like a rope, like like a, like like a up up the staircase basically. And then you have to drag you know, like, um, like, you know, it's kind of simulating like, like what a fire rescue would be basically. So you have to drag a, um, you know, like, like a sandbag type thing, like over a certain distance. And, you know, the people were like, oh, we're making teams. Like we want Connor on our team. Like we know he's a bodybuilder, he can do it. And I'm like, guys, like I don't have an athletic bone in my body. Like <laughs> I, I, I still showed up and did it though, but I was like, I was no good. <laughs> I mean, I, I um, trained for it. I just showed up and tried basically. Uh, there's probably three people in the world who know this because I, I actually don't really talk about it much um, but I actually applied for the police department at some point and part of the entrance was uh, a, an obstacle course right um, and so it, it involved um, it was like a, a couple of hills there was a climb a fence jump um, there was a couple other things it wasn't a pr particularly robust obstacle course but I'm really good at obstacle course obstacle courses so I was I was enthused, very excited. And then at the end, there was a, uh, like a body drag. Uh, it was a sandbag that was just the shape of a body. So it had wings. And I mean, I, I went there like two days before because I knew where the spot was. And I practiced that obstacle course like a few times. And the only thing I didn't have was the, uh, the body bag, I guess. Anyway, the body to carry. And so I did the, I did the obstacle course. Um, and I flew through it and I went to pick up the body and I went to grab him and I slipped and I went back like four steps and then I had to run back up and grab it. And right when I crossed the finish line, I heard one of the dudes whisper under his breath, damn, you almost set the record. <laughs> I was like, fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> if I hadn't slipped, I would have set the course record for applicants uh, ever. So that was, that was so cool. But and needless to say, I ended up not really being interested in being in the police force, but yeah, uh, it is something that I like. I had considered pretty seriously, and yeah, yeah. I actually remember doing um, um, the fitness testing for my paramedic program, and it was actually right after I competed. And it was it, it was kind of funny because they had this uh, stipulation where they had to take people's vital signs before and after, so they just basically took heart rate and blood pressure. <laughs> you know, my blood my heart rate's still in the tank, so they 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 put me. They put the thing on my finger and I'm like, like a 42 beats per minute heart rate or something. And <laughs> I, I, I guess the idea is they want to see like, cause some people will get nervous for the testing. And if their heart rate was like, uh, like elevated and the blood pressure was elevated before it, they'd be worried about pushing them physically, you know, in that state. And obviously like we're in a paramedic program, like we're concerned about these things or whatever. Right. So, um, I remember that a lot of the other guys were like trying to calm themselves down and I was there at like 42 doing it. But I actually just, I just barely uh, finished it in time because there's a component where you just 
pick up the stretcher and put it into basically it locks into like these pegs in the ambulance and i i couldn't get it to like lock right like i like it's like there's kind of like a feel to it and it took me like mm-hmm. three, or, three or four tries coming in at it to try and get it locked and then i did it and i had like like 10 seconds left or something but like certainly my performance didn't you know um <laughs> didn't impress anyone which <laughs> at the end but i i still passed so it was all right that's what matters yeah what's uh let's get into it let's get into our last week um well sure. your last week because i i talked about mine i guess one more thing um i really didn't train uh it was basically a vacation for me i was way too focused on other stuff and since i had to get up early to build the spreadsheet each day i ended up just doing that instead of training because it would have been a shit show if i had tried to do anything else but yeah and then nutrition was basically um just trying to eat uh eat intuitively and relatively comfortably and when i had time so it worked out fine. Uh, at the at the end of it, I had gained at about the same rate that I was expecting, uh, or would have hoped for had I tracked. So it, it worked out fine. Perfect. Yeah. So I guess for myself, I think where I had last uh, talked about my off season on the podcast, you know, I just kind of moved back into my place um, since um, my ceiling had collapsed. So you know, that was great. Uh, and I was at this, um, you know, I, I kind of had mentioned, I think that my weight kind of s- stalled a little bit, but I thought it was maybe because I just hadn't like eaten enough. Uh, when I was at my parents' place, I could kind of like a little bit loose on some of the, um, you know, some of the meal timing and just some of the amounts, just kind of like estimating it and just, you know, not being just too worried about it for that time. And so I got back here and I got back on the amount of calories that I thought would be adequate about 3,200, but my weight was still kind of actually pretty low you know I was actually hitting like you know 186 and 187 uh, when I had been up to 189 uh, before you know the the ceiling collapsed here so when I came back I was giving it a few more days and I was like wow this isn't really moving so I actually bumped up my calories by about 300 to about 3500 and then things started to move and I would say my training was kind of like the momentum was slowing down a little bit like the progress on some of the movements was either becoming really hard to to get going or it just didn't feel like I it was progressing at the same rate it was before as I got that food in and my weight picked up um it started to come back so um you know I felt you know these last few weeks everything was going about as good as it could be um so decent decent progressions you know rep progressions here and there not any huge PRs but just you know basically building you know these exercises I've been doing over time with just you know, a few reps here and there and my body weight as well boosted up to like, I had sushi the other night with my family and it was up to 193 after that. Since then, it's been, it's been down to about 190, 191. Uh, and that's been feeling great. Um, definitely, you know, I can see the body fat accumulating slowly, but I'm not too worried. Like, I feel like with these things, like I get to a point post-contest and it really kind of sucks to see everything go away. And then you're trying to hold, like, I'm kind of like mentally holding on to this look or whatever. But then once I get to a certain point, I just kind of stop caring. I just like, well, I just want to be big and just crush my lifts in the, in the gym now. And that's kind of, kind of where I'm at now. So I'm feeling, you know, overall bigger. Um, and just, you know, things have been going on as well as they can, man. Let's make it slow and steady progress, feeling, feeling strong and feeling happy, honestly. And uh, at first my appetite was a little bit, diminished trying to get those calories up but then it just it just picked right up and 3500 just feels like eating 3200 was a few weeks ago so it's been great in that aspect 
Well, I got to ask, because I asked this last time, but did you, uh, what did you do to up it? Did you add protein and a little bit of carbs again or fat again? Yes. So um, let's see. I, I think if I was to go over meal by meal, what I, what I did is um, I, I described uh, my morning or my post-workout meal, which is the rice crackers. So I just added a banana to that, 100 grams of banana. That was an addition before it was just a protein shake and the rice crackers. Uh, then for my lunch, I had was having some pork tenderloin and some jasmine, or sorry, basmati rice with some vegetables. I added a tablespoon of olive oil to that. Uh, super easy. Uh, and actually, I, I like how that tastes. It's really good. <laughs> I love it. A little yeah. bit of olive oil and some rice. I, it's something I didn't realize I loved. And I, I learned in prep when it, basically all I had was a little bit of meat, a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of rice. I'm like, oh, shit, this is good. And yeah, it still it, is. Weird. If, if you... um. Like I'll, I'll cook a few lunches at a time. Like I'll maybe cook my lunches for two Tuesday and Thursday on a month or on a Monday or Tuesday and Wednesday on a Monday. Right. You put that olive oil in, you know, it keeps it moist. Right. So the rice is going to get a little bit dry as the days go on, but the, the olive oil, it keeps it nice and moist. So even if it's a few days old rice, it's still beautiful once you, you know, heat it up. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, then I think I added like an apple to another meal. Um, and then for my last meal, I added, a few whole eggs like I think I added two whole eggs and a little bit of steak to my last meal so that was it it was like just a mix of mix of carbs and fats basically and a little bit of protein from those eggs that that boosted it up there and I think the the daily macros are like 460 carb 240 protein 65 70 fat somewhere in that in that vicinity there so just because it seemed like a specific amount and you said you added a little bit of steak to your last meal, did you already have steak for this last meal or did you just shave a ribbon of steak onto whatever it was you were normally eating? Yeah, so I was um, doing some like whole eggs with some with some cream of rice and I was doing like the whole eggs were like most of the protein I was getting, but I was putting a little bit of whey isolate in my cream of rice. And I had like a, just like a 50 gram serving of steak. It was just to kind of make up the rest of the macros that I wanted. And then, so I took out the cream of rice. I added actually like a multi-grain bread uh, to the last meal and I increased uh, the steak because now the whey isolate was gone because I had the bread instead. Uh, so that kind of just evened up the macros and just made it just such where I was getting just a little bit more fat, a little bit more um, protein with that steak coming in. Is it is it pretty normal for you to have uh, meals that are kind of designed in that way? Is it is that how most of your meals are designed, or uh, where it's like uh, several different kind of a couple different protein sources, a couple different like carb and, and fat sources? So you've got your eggs, you've got steak, um, you mentioned the cream of rice, and then. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you right now. Because it, it's very mixed, very kind of odd. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I'm yeah, just curious yeah. if the rest are like that. Not so much be, because I, I'll have like whey isolate twice in a day. And then I have that pork tenderloin, which is like the macronutrient, like it's very equivalent to like chicken breast in terms of like a, like a boneless chicken breast in terms of the calories and nutrition on that. Uh, and it's really just that last meal of the day where it's actually the most calorically dense. I think it's almost like 900 calories, whereas the others are like, you know, maybe 550, 600-ish um, throughout the day. I guess it's just because like I want to get um, a decent feeding before I'm going to bed and, and fasting for about, you know, like eight, nine hours, 10 hours or so. Um, 
and I just, I just, I guess, you know, the, a lot of calories just got pushed to that meal, um, just by me needing that amount throughout the day and just kind of just going off of what I already had. I guess I could eat more during the day if I wanted to, but, you know, kind of that meal at night is when I have a little bit more time to, to sit and cook and kind of eat. So it's like, it kind of just feels like a nice relaxing time to have a decent amount of calories and just be able to sit and eat it and prepare it um, you know, fresh basically. Whereas a lot of my stuff is like kind of meal prepped, uh, with my daily routines and schedules. Right. So even, you know, like I'll, I'll take, um, some time on like a Sunday or like a, a Tuesday night, like before this podcast and get some of my meals ready for the week, just cause I like to have that flow when I'm at my, my work day. And basically, um, um, I guess, you know, you train in your home gym, but you know, basically for me, I leave at, um, you know, six, six, fifteen, six thirty in the morning, and I'm not back till maybe six at night a lot of times. So I kind of need everything to be just kind of uh, packed and just ready to go. And then I have that nice kind of meal at night, where it's a little bit more food and just a little bit more time to sit and make it and enjoy it. So it's kind of just what what happened. And I just love I love whole eggs, man. I love whole eggs and a little bit of ketchup. For me, that's like that's as like as a uh, chef's kiss it, yeah it's as fancy as i need to get <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and the reason i ask is because um for breakfast uh for, well basically all the meals that i have except for dinner yeah. um those are my like free i can basically make whatever i need to make for myself so they can be uh abysmal bodybuilding meals or they can be like you know and by that, I just mean like the traditional, like I'm not putting effort in. So it's just chicken breast and rice and maybe yeah. some salt. Um, but dinner is almost because I'm actually the cook in the house, or at least most often. Uh, I took up that role just because of the bodybuilding, um, mostly. Sure. Um, needless to say, I, I enjoy doing the cooking. So I like doing a lot of the cooking, but I also have to cook for Caitlin. Uh, sure. And that's not a, a drawback in any way, but uh, it definitely drives a different meal. Uh, design quite a bit for my my evening and just kind of like I I, I wanted to highlight the difference in that I guess because um, I, I know a lot of the the people that might be listening also have families because I know in our um, in our Saturday or our office hours uh, there's other people that have kind of families around so I imagine they're in similar boats on the like the the, the dinner meal um, but the, the reason I bring it up is because sometimes when I'm like I really just have very specific macros that I need to hit today I'm like, hey, Kayla, we should just snack for dinner today. <laughs> well, you know, we'll, we'll just snack for dinner. And she's like, oh, heck yeah, I love that. And I'm like, cool. Now I can have like my piece of steak, a couple of, like it, it turns into the meal exactly that you're describing. Like, you know, I really just want to put a lot of effort in, but I do want to have things that I enjoy and that hit my numbers perfectly and I don't have to think about it. Um, but it's funny because that's like, I, I had to think of like, yeah, let's just, you know, snack around for dinner or just, you know, leftover day. Yeah. I'm actually curious um, for you, Peter, um, when you're contest prepping and you have macros to hit or whatnot, um, do you ever try and play like the food volume game to try and like make yourself more satiated or do you just kind of like go with what tastes good or do you have like a palatability scale that you try and like keep that at a certain like level out of 10 or like what's your approach with like choosing foods for your contest prep diet? Um, for everything up until the last few weeks where I had, uh, for lack of a better word, a meal plan from Cliff, mm -hmm. um, I cooked absolutely normal meals. 
um, and I take so things that would be normal uh, for like cooking for me and my wife. Um, I would just kind of opt out to throw in additional oils uh, usually, um, but it would be an identical meal that she and I have. Um, so it would be like things like rice and chicken, but like a cheesy rice and chicken or uh, like a kielbasa pasta with there's a lot of noodle and rice and cheese dishes because that's what she likes. Um, so there's a lot of that. It would be basically identical to what I would make off season. Um, but the, the toppings I would keep to the side until I was pre-serving or plating for us. Uh, and I would give her um, the additions that were, you know, flavorful. So she would get more cheese. She would get a little bit of like maybe a dab, like a little bit of butter on top or something like that. Uh, just kind of mix in with that cheese or whatever. And then I would have exactly the same meal, just portioned to the calories or the nutrition that I, I had allotted for that meal. Um, and I would kind of set up the, begin, the first two thirds of my day to allow for, for that. Um, but for the most part, they, the macro breakdowns were always pretty favorable. I just had to kind of deal with portion size instead. Um, and there was always, there was, there's usually some vegetable components uh, that are in the dishes that work out quite well. Um, so I never really had to spend a lot of time volumizing or uh, doing anything particularly fancy. I just, I calculated the whole meal down and I weighed my portion out and I was like, oh, cool. This looks good. And often it was, you know, just barely perfect uh, in terms of what I needed and filling wise, except I would throw like a pickle in here and there just to kind of fill up if I needed to. Pickles were, were pretty handy for that. Uh, but that was really the only thing I needed to do up until... Uh, when it was very much basically peak weeks um, and I had like basically six in a row. So that was a very long time. Right. Um, uh, during that time, I just ate exactly what was defined and just dealt with it. Nice. Nice. I know with myself, I really got myself into some trouble before trying to like play the food volume game and trying to like basically conquer hunger which like now that i say it now it sounds so ridiculous because you know contest prep the hunger is going to be present until basically you put a, a bit of body fat back on post contest right but i would get myself into some trouble in terms of just like having terrible like digestive and, and stomach issues with really doing like it's in 2019 i think was the worst but you know i'd look at my whole day as like a project of like food volume right so i do like you know, egg whites in the morning with like as many vegetables as I could. And um, the, even just like eating like canned pumpkin with like, you know, um, but whatever, whatever else I had, like canned pumpkin and like PB2 or something together with like stevia, <laughs> more sweetener and stuff. Uh, and then maybe I do like at night, I would do like a big bag of low fat popcorn with like a huge salad um, and just like, man, the digestive problems I experienced that prep were just it was just awful it i actually think that that was you know worse than the fatigue symptoms of the contest prep because that was like with me you know like 24 7 as well too whereas the fatigue you kind of you know it's there but you can you can get through it sometimes and just kind of try yeah it. it's waves it hits and waves yeah um and i i, I tried to at what as, as i prepared for my 2022 20, prep i was really reflecting on you know i had you know, maybe I think it was three contest seasons then, so it would have been 2012, 2013, 2016, 2019. So four contest seasons of experience of thinking about 
you know, wow, like 2019 was really messed up. Like what was so wrong about that? And I was like, oh, it was the food volume. Like the, the food volume was just like way too much. And you think, you know, at the end you're eating lesser calories. Your digestion is actually slowing down a little bit because you don't have as much food to kind of break down. So it was, it felt like there was at all given times, there was just so much food in my stomach, even though the caloric content was not very large. Right. So, yeah. And I think um, Eric Trexler in one, in the Stronger by Science podcast, um, maybe the second December release where they were talking about strategies. Um, I think he explained it pretty well with like uh, methods for dealing with hunger and just understanding that, you know, it's a thing. It's just going to be there and sometimes you're going to experience it. But uh, I think he described it as kind of like a leaf in the water that's just floating by. It's just like, you know, it's there, but I don't have to interact with it. It's just there. And I think uh, I, that I, was a really great way to describe it. I know what you mean. He was talking about it more from like a mindfulness approach to try and, you know, um, you know, not let it, you know, basically, basically perseverating on it the whole time. Right. Which um, I think I was guilty of that in, in 2019. And, <laughs> you know, I do all these things too. Like the, I don't know if you guys have them here, if you've, you've ever done them before, like the five calorie jello cups or whatever. Um <laughs> Uh, do you have those? It's like it's like these jello cups that are five calories. It's just the macronutrients are just like one <laughs> protein per serving. Yeah, and it's all gelatin. Um, yeah. No, they most certainly exist. I I knew myself well enough that if I bought them once, it was going to be a, be a mistake. Yeah. Um, so I I did not buy any jello because like I I love jello, and yeah. I would eat like uh, as a kid I would eat like the whole tray of jello. So it was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. This, this will annihilate me. That's the thing too, is I find once you're in contest prep and you make, you make the conscious decision to make this one kind of thing that, you know, you want to, you want to use, like it could be like a Walden's farm dressing, or it could be a five calorie jello, or it could be even simple as like making like a big salad or something. Once you make that decision to do it once, you always want to do it, you know, because everything just tastes so good. So, so mine... I, I do want to jump. So mine was, and you might have seen this a little bit while back. I, I don't know, maybe not. In my, sh- so I bought a, I think it was a one-pound tub of tiny marshmallows, but not like tiny marshmallows, but the Lucky Charms dehydrated little marshmallows. <laughs> and a and a one-pound tub is this big. That's it was yeah. it was massive, um, and I had like. 15 grams of that with my um, protein casing pudding every morning for my post-workout. So they were my post-workout carbs. And it was, I don't know, my favorite part of the day. Right. <laughs> I absolutely adored those. I, I need to re-up it because they got like the last little layer got stale in the bottom there after yeah. I got off of prep. Um, but I, anyway, I mentioned it because there was a, I did a, I had the, the core nutritionals. Um, it was like the fluffernilla pudding. And that one's marshmallow flavored. And I remember sharing it because I'm like, oops, all mar- marshmallows because it was refeed day and I had so many uh, carbs to eat that day. And I literally just, it, it just like avalanche the bowl. <laughs> yeah, Marshmallows are one of my favorite things. So that's, that's not an accident. I chose that as my like thing that I would have, you know, as my sweet thing in the morning each day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was just reminded of this this week and just thinking about digestion because I just, I actually used a little bit of Truvia 
in one of my like cream of rice bowls. So I'll do like cream of rice, I'll cook that and then I'll have some peanut butter with it and mix in some whey protein. And that's like, that's a meal I'll have pretty commonly, but I just decided to sweeten it up with some Truvia. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the, it's the Truvia is uh, Stevia and erythritol together. I don't know if it's the erythritol, but that stuff makes me so gassy. <laughs> and I, I, mm. I, I was reminded that I cannot have that stuff on prep. But, and I just, I just figured I could get away with it uh, this, this one time, but, you know, I had, you know, about uh, a half teaspoon of that. And I was, you know, having like, you know, pretty bad burps and farts for the next, you know, basically 12 to 20 hours after that. And it actually affected my sleep quality one night. Cause I was like, just like, couldn't get to sleep. Cause I kept burping and farting like over and over again, just from this little bit of, of trivia. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I really think going forward in the future, um, I'm just trying to be mindful of all these things that affect my digestion, right? And I was pretty good with it in 2022. But um, one of the things I think I took in from when it was uh, Eric Trexler on Stronger by Science, he was talking about using a certain like palatabil palatability um, for meals in a dieting phase and maybe not trying to eat a meal that's like a kind of attend palatability on a diet phase because it's going to kind of make you want to eat more. Um, so I, like, I think for me, like one of those foods, we just like, it's like straight up peanut butter. It's like, that's very hard to include on uh, like a caloric deficit diet because I'm just going to want to keep eating more. And if you, even if it's in my place, I'm going to want to go and just take like a little tiny bit of it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think that for me going in the future, just trying to keep like that palatability scale to like maybe a six or seven out of 10 would just make it for better adherence and actually like actually less psychological stress over the deficit because you're just like fighting yourself less if you know you have all you know foods that don't like really excite you when you're eating them but I, yeah and i think um dr mike also does a similar approach and has talked about that with yeah. like tanking palatability a little bit as uh, food focus goes up yeah and i mean there's something to be said what you said earlier about you know having that meal that's just like your best part of the day like sometimes you get to have something like that to have something to look forward to but I, I think it's like how does it affect you as an individual and what path does it set you on for the rest of the day after that you know yeah and that's actually why i chose to have it early because uh, yeah. i didn't want it to be something i was looking forward to the whole day because and, and by best part i mean it was like the best meal of the day hmm. um but like yeah i didn't want it to be something that i like <laughs> with you know trying to get through my whole day for so it was like i had a meal i had training and I had my post-workout, which was that meal. So like I had all those things that I got to enjoy. So like breakfast, because I have the same breakfast every morning because I love it. And then training, which is always fun, usually fun. And then after that, I had to shake and then the rest of my day to enjoy. So I didn't really give myself too much time to hyper-focus on it, which I think benefited me in some ways. So, so what types of foods are you most often choosing now uh, in your off-season? um let's see um a lot more easy to cook meals um generally so things that don't necessarily take as much prep time um when i was in prep i really enjoyed spending more time doing physical cooking um just basically i, I got to interact with foods and smells and experiment with spices a lot and, and that's something that just kind of uh, was was a lot of fun um, for me, despite not being able to taste it, I could be like, Hey, Caitlin, taste this. And she would love it or hate it. And I'd be like, cool, I can try something different next time. Um, but now, now that I'm not like trying to focus so much on flavor and whatnot, it's really just kind of taking in calories. 
Um, I think having a lot more like convenient food, um, not like convenience food, um, but things that cook a lot, take a lot less time to cook, um, which actually I'm actually wanting to undo. I'd rather get to cooking more, uh, but my motivation to cook is lower. So that part's kind of tough. Um, but for specifics, um, I'm still having a lot of like rice and ground beef uh, based meals uh, just because they're quite quite easy as well as like a chicken or a beef like noodle or pasta dish. Um, I like noodles because they're very quick to cook. I really want to make a, a gnocchi meal um, coming up because we've I, I love the texture of that. Like it's like a potato noodle. It's 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 hard to describe. It's like a dumpling, that, like an American dumpling. But yeah, it's delicious. The texture's great, um, and I like to play with textures a lot with with prep as well, just because it's something you can enjoy that doesn't necessarily change uh, caloric intake quite a bit. Um, so that's something something that I do, and I've, I I carry on into the off season as well. Um, and definitely, I have more ice cream, so that's definitely a thing still. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, my absolute favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate base moose tracks. Nice. Um, that's that's my my favorite. And then second favorite is whatever ice cream at the store has the most words that that mean chocolate. So if you see like a double chocolate fudge brownie ribbon thing, I don't know. It's that's basically it. I'm I'm a sucker for chocolate. That's my ever, my second favorite flavor. You ever do uh, sorbet? Or also known as sherbet. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I, I've heard it as sherbet, but sherbert, yes. Sherbert, uh, I, my wife likes sherbet a lot, um, yeah. and that that is actually how I'm used to saying it. So I will say that. Um, but I enjoy it a lot. I just don't have it very often because it doesn't come to mind first. But yeah, I do really like it. I I get, I get into it because I actually heard Scott Stevenson talk about it on a, on a podcast because it's a. Uh, it's a food he likes to use to like carb load because it's basically just like pure glucose basically right? i remember that episode actually it was a steve hall episode yeah that's right yeah yeah and uh so i i would get into that sometimes when my caloric intake was higher but it being the winter right now it's not that appealing i did, <laughs> I, I, I did it a few times on contest prep actually though as a high day there was like for a while i was just buying um God, it was expensive. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend people with this if they're on a budget. But there, you could get like this little kind of canister of um, this raspberry sorbet, um, and uh, it the whole thing was like 150 carbs or something. I think there was a, a time of period of time where my high day was just like my exact same diet, but just having that sorbet at the end of the day for the boost <laughs> boosting carbohydrates. <laughs> Yeah. Um, part of a similar thing for me is like, if I, if I've actually just had a really busy day at work and I'm not sure if I'm going to hit my calories, I get the, um, and so we're not talking about ice cream the whole day. This will be the last thing I talk about for, um, extra calories, but it's the, um, it's the, the grocery store gelato, uh, like single containers there are, I guess, a quart pint pint. Uh, I just add that to the end of my day, to be honest, it's just quick, easy. And I certainly don't hate it. And so you're someone who can like digest dairy, no, no issues or? Yes, um, I'm actually very good with dairy um, I, and I can almost quantify it. Um, so I did GOMAD for several years in college. So gallon of milk a day. And I did that because I had the um, cafeteria uh, unlimited program. So for college, 
Yeah. And for me, that meant I had unlimited access to milk, 1% skim and 2%. So I would just do blends and I had to have two pints with all six of my meals. Um, and it wasn't until the last uh, three cups of milk did I come up with any sort of digestive issues with, with, milk, with it. And it was exactly the same time, exactly the same, uh, every day at, when I was on my like second, second or third to last glass of milk. That's awesome. But yeah. I, I actually, no. uh, yeah. I, I was, I'll tell a quick story. I actually, I actually remember um, when I was in university, I, I had, um, even in my second year, I was living off campus, but I still bought a, um, like, like a meal hall pass basically to have a certain amount of meals per day. So mm -hmm. I basically eat as much food as I could at the, at the university cafeteria because basically it was like a, a buffet style. You just go in and just, you know, have as much as you want. And I was trying to gain weight there and there was, there was one or two times where I actually ate so much there that I actually kind of like threw up a little bit as I was walking out of the cafeteria because I was trying to get so much food down. You know, those were in my teenage and foreign reading days with where like the, you know, the permabulkers ruled that land on the forums, right? So it was all about, you know, eating as much as you possibly could. And that was my method for it at the time. Yeah, when I, when I had the meal plan, I was mostly... Uh, well, actually, it was doing three month, three or four months of bulk and then an equivalent amount for cutting. So I always had the same regimen. But the hardest part for me was trying to cut with the, um, the, the meal plan because it's like, oh, what's for lunch today? Oh, OK, it's tater tot casserole. Great. That's going to be easy to work in. Right. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, how's training been? Where are you at with that? Good, man. So I just would have done my chest and arms day today that's tuesday where that's that's where that day's been following and um i basically i, I kind of decided you know i was going to do all my ch chest pressing um with a pause but i decided to kind of let that go for a little bit just to see how it was and so i was able to um increase so we have like a, a plate loaded incline hammer uh press machine and i was able to get you know 345s per side uh for three sets of six um today which is like that, that's pretty good. I think at the peak of my off season last year, I could do for a max, like a set of eight with three plates, but my form is just a little bit different. Like I, today I was, or I was extending a little bit more up here. Uh, so to, so it kind of puts this part of the chest, the middle part kind of in line to move it really well with like an arch, like kind of like arching on a flat press gets you, you know, more of a decline angle and gets, you know, more of the lower pecs involved, right. To be stronger. Same idea here. So uh, I think before I was not arching and I could get it at my peak strength of last offseason about three plates for eight. Today was three, three sets of six with a little bit more advantageous arch. Um, but that that's, it was like a good indicator that things are happening. Like I remember at the end of my contest prep, I was doing uh, two plates to 25 for maybe a set of six or seven um, mm -hmm. towards the end. So that's up about a good 40 pounds from the end of prep. So the, those have been moving pretty well. I'm like anytime I'm getting sort of decent progress on, on like pressing motions, I'm pretty happy because that's like some hard progress to come by for me. I find at least for chest pressing. Um, so that's been great. And you've been making a few small progressions with like even bicep training and stuff. Um, yeah. Which maybe we'll get into with you in a second, but you know, even today I was able to do, you know, um, I put this on my Instagram, but it's basically like, you know, I lean on the back of a preacher pad, and get my upper arm supported by the pad. And I was able to do uh, 40 pounds uh, strict, basically dumbbell curl for 
a set of seven and then a set of eight and then another set of eight but that last set of eight i almost got nine so i call it eight and a half so i got seven eight eight and a half so that's that's pretty decent for me with the 40 pound dumbbells so that's been making slow and steady progress um and uh you know maybe the rep range on that is a little bit low um to really see so much progress revealed on such a like isolated type type motion but I think if you're getting like a half rep to a rep per week, that's like, that's pretty solid in that rep range for, for biceps. So as for, for, for the time being, I'm like pretty content with everything. I'm hoping that this phase continues and I can just keep kind of milking up these gains. How about you though? You mentioned you changed your bicep training up a little bit, Peter. Yeah. So um, anyone who's listening before would know that I'm basically back onto a new program, one that's sit five and a half days a week. Um, and one of the main things that I changed it for changed for my bicep training specifically was that, um, my main movement for biceps for each of the days was going to be lengthened position one, uh, last cycle, it was the arm blaster with an easy bar. Uh, so this, this time, uh, my Monday bicep movement is, uh, Bayesian curls or however that's pronounced. I've almost only ever read it. So I apologize to the culture or, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, and I've been doing that for, um, I think 10 reps, uh, relatively heavy, um, for the cables, at least heavy for me, anything in the 10 rep range, I consider moderately heavy. Um, and today, well, yeah, yesterday I did them and it was the first time that I actually had that feeling where, you know, you can almost already feel like you're getting sore. Uh, cause it's a, like just such a good stimulus that day and you're like, Oh, I'm definitely going to be sore tomorrow. Um, it's, I've almost never experienced that with biceps, no matter how hard I've trained them, which presumably just means I didn't train them particularly well. Um, not saying that that's a foolproof indicator or anything. Um, but I'd certainly tried in the past to get kind of that sort of result, uh, from biceps. And I was really never able to produce a like meaningful soreness or um, really much of a pump in the last like seven years, uh, mostly because a lot of that training didn't focus on biceps, but the, the stimulus felt really good. I got like a good pump, a little bit of soreness. Uh, there were, there's enough indicators there that really felt great. And that stretch really felt good. Um, so I'm actually pretty optimistic about the changes uh, that I've made. I'm really looking forward to the next 14 weeks of this program to see uh, if I make a meaningful change in my bicep you know, flexed, uh, meaningful change for me is like a quarter of an inch. If I, if I see that, um, quarter of an inch on my average go up, um, just like, cause I I've out of season 15 and a half inch bicep, like deep in season, it's like a 13 and a quarter inch bicep. So, I mean, I, if I measure it as I'm gaining, it's going to get bigger. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I put a whole lot of mass there. So, um, but I'm pretty optimistic that I'm going to make some growth there. Um, and there's a lot of other changes I made in my program that is a little bit lower reps with a little bit more intensity, uh, fo focusing a bit more on that stretch that I'm really, really enjoying. Um, so that's that's been fun, uh, mostly for chest, calves, um, and biceps. Um, and then some of the other stuff I've done for for lats doesn't necessarily emphasize like the feeling of a stretch, but I'm still trying to get that length in position just because my lats are relatively flexible, I suppose. So I don't feel as much of a stretch, 
but I am putting um, a lot of tension on them in the length of the position. So, That's, yeah. Yeah, my impression with the biceps is it is actually kind of hard to get that same type of soreness in like, deep, I guess, for a lack of a better term, like deep muscle stimulus or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, I think, I think that can, the game can change when you start to like get creative with kind of load the length and position a little bit more. So, you know, have that elbow more back in the stretch position and like getting just like a ton of volume there and like reps that are like, you know, uh, you know, or the set eventually gets limited by that length and position. Whereas like, you know, your basic, um, standing, let's say dumbbell curl, it's like, it's loaded most heavily in that 90 degrees, um, you know, basically when the forearm is parallel to the ground, just because of, because of gravity and how that works. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because I've been reading these debates back and forth online and I don't want to get into it too much here, but you know, some people are saying that it's better for the biceps to load them in that 90 degree, um, because that's where they have the most leverage to move, um, yeah. the humerus. And then other people are just like, well, no, like how could, you know, we've seen all this literature on the lengthened position work for all these other muscle groups why would that not apply for the biceps so i don't know but i know that i use bayesian curls before or some sort of variation of that basically a single arm tail curl with the arm behind the body and you know it worked great for me um especially with doing enough volume and doing enough intensity uh throughout the course of my week when i specialized in arms you know my last off season yeah and i actually want to comment on that specifically and the reason i chose the the bayesian uh bicep curl was because one, just because it is an ex well, a lengthened muscle position where it's where my arm, if I'm facing one direction, my arm, uh, so my humerus is behind me somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm able able to have like a lot of tension when my arm is still at 90 degrees. Yes. Uh, kind of that same same thing that you described. Right. Because because yeah, in all honesty, yeah. when I don't want a significant amount of load when my arm is straightened. Because like you said, the leverage for the bicep tendon, it attaches really close. Mm -hmm. Like that's not a very favorable, favorable leverage. So like um, whenever you see, I, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but I generally want to have my, my bicep loaded most when I've already begun a little bit of bend. Yeah. And that's why I really want it behind my back. So that way I can have that maximum load at a lengthened position, but not a fully straightened elbow. Um, that, that way I have a lot of tension, but I also have a very good, uh, mechanical advantage to start, you know, actually applying force, um, actively rather than just passively. Yeah. That's, so, that's I, why I like that movement. That's one thing I think about too. Like for instance, when I was doing those dumbbell curls today, which is obviously loaded, uh, the peak amount at that 90 degree angle. Um, I try to make sure like I'm really initiating that with a non-explosive concentric because I feel like if I just really just like pushed her in the bottom position, I wouldn't get that great tension at the middle. Like I, I want, I want to just kind of guide it into that position and be really challenged there versus just trying to like hurl it up and like create a bunch of momentum from the bottom and maybe the bicep is not in the favorable place to move it when the arm is stretched all the way down, even if there's no load there. But you know what I'm saying? Like just really trying to like just kind of guide it up and just almost think like I'm you know, squeezing it into position and then it gets, you know, really fight to that tension in the middle part. Like that's when I'll like really put the effort into the rep. It's like right when it's right peak tension and it's, it seems to be working all right. So mm -hmm. yeah, but that's, that's awesome. You know, I'd be really surprised if, you know, some of those new motions don't, you know, 
you know, if you never really, if you never really explored that avenue before and really put the volume and work into those exercises, like I'd, I'd be surprised if it didn't give you, you know, something you didn't get before, right? It just makes sense to me. Yeah, and it's funny because, um, like, you know, the lo- uh, lengthened, like stretch media hypertrophy and lengthened positions has become really popular in the last few years. Um, and I'm definitely not saying I'm ahead of the curve in any way. Um, but like for the last four years, I've, I've really focused on the seated uh, curl because I remember reading um, uh, or listening to an article about or a conversation about the, um, you know, biarticulate muscles and how it seems like having them in that lengthened position helps a little bit. And I was like, oh, well, I'll give that a try for my calves because, I mean, you know, calves are so hard to grow. Maybe I'll just focus on like the stretch portion because like when I'm walking around, they're never in an extreme stretch. They're always in like a kind of like a medium range. Um, and so for the last like four years, I've been training basically just the stretch of my calves. And I've actually seen pretty great progress in my calves in the last few years. So I'm like, hey, I'm so glad I lucked into that one. So I, I'm curious, do you just do the bottom part and just kind of get up to parallel? Uh, I do. I do the full range, yeah. but um, I actively, um, oh man, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, dorsiflex? Plantar flex? Well, I, 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 yeah, plantar flex. I, I actively plantar fa- flex, whatever. I actively try to point up my toe at the oh. end of range of motion to further stretch that is that is dorsiflexion. Okay, yeah. So I actively, uh, I actively uh, tense the the front of my my leg it's to get an even deeper stretch, and then it's from that motion that I I pause for just a hair to reset, and yeah. I contract from there. And if I don't get a if I don't get a full rep, I just like pulse up to halfway until I literally can't walk out of the machine. Yeah. And do, doing sets of calves like that is pretty painful too. Like, <laughs> if you actually, I, I eased into it. Yeah, if you actually go to failure on a set of calf raises, like you're, you, you know, you you got my appreciation because if you really just go till it doesn't move at all, that's it's a tough set, man. Yeah, th- those are tough. And I my favorite story for lifting um, that I've told to anyone is the is the time I accidentally did calves too hard. Um, I don't think I was close to rhabdo in any way. Maybe I was, I don't know, but I did 10 sets of 10, um, moderately heavy load, but it was like, it wasn't like a deep stretch. Like I was talking about, it was kind of like more college years when I was just doing cap raises with a bro. Um, anyway, I thought it was totally normal, but we hadn't done caps together, um, for at least a year or two beforehand. And I did 10 sets of 10, hit them pretty hard. Um, the next day, because the muscle is biarticulate, um, I couldn't straighten my leg to get out of a chair. Oh, no. So I'm going to demo this for Connor and uh, just what I, I couldn't get out of my chair unless I scooted the chair out and I like stayed squatted and I walked around the room squatting slightly less and less <laughs> until I could straighten my knee because yeah. Because the, the, the gas is a knee flexor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the biarticulate one. And it was so insanely sore that for six days, I had to get out of chairs like that. <laughs> um, and the worst yeah. part was, is I was on my way to my sister's wedding. So I didn't uh-huh. get to, well, I wasn't going to dance anyway. I actually had a great reason I couldn't dance. But like, I was waddling around that wedding. <laughs> 
for like days. It was awful. Did you take yeah. like NSAIDs or anything like that to try and reduce it? Oh yeah. 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 It's just so I could exist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought yeah. you were gonna say no, no, I didn't want to reduce any of the muscle damage. Like I didn't want to reduce the inflammation. I wanted to get the gains from that. I needed I needed it to go away. I did so much damage to that to my calves that I it, I was not getting gains. I was simply trying to mitigate damage. Yeah. Wow, I made cool. nothing but mistakes on that training. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy how much, um, you know, taking some time off and then getting back into it. We realize like how, how much like muscle damage we can cause, I guess, when we're, we are not, you're not trained in a certain motion. And then like, and it's funny because, you know, if you're on the same program for a while doing the same movements, you're really not getting much. Like I don't really get, a whole lot of soreness maybe if i'm doing a really deep stretch or something i'll get a little bit but if i'm doing the same motions for a week in week out i don't really experience much at all but yeah you take that time off and you come and you hit a relatively high volume session you're like wow like how do people sort of survive this you know what i mean yeah and, and especially with strongman because there's uh so much more phases to training where something you just don't train for a while right excuse me um when i would go back to squats like I knew because I get profoundly sore um, for a very short time. So um, I get very, very sore and it goes away within a couple of days or a day. Usually the calves are kind of a weird exception where I just almost ruin the muscle, I'm sure. Um, but for the most part, um, when, when I come back and I'm somewhat naive to a movement again, I'm actually quite sore um, yeah. for the first two, two sessions. Um, and then after that, when I'm pretty like, you know, repeated bout effect, um, I actually still get a very low grade soreness on, um, most training sessions where I feel it through to midday, the following, following day where that soreness kind of shows up and then fades. And then that's actually pretty typical for most of my training sessions. And I don't know if that's just kind of how I respond to it, but it's, it's always a little bit of soreness and it's always for like half a day worth. Or at least most often. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. All right. So let's see. What else do we have here today? Um, Too many tabs open. A bunch of different things I Googled. Sorry, everyone, for the long, awkward pause. Um, the other things I think we had to talk about was the 3DMJ rep ranges, if you wanted to talk oh, about yeah. that. Yeah, so if you guys didn't check out the 3DMJ um, rep range podcast, it was Eric and Brian Miner, and they had a really, I'd say, a little bit more nuanced discussion about um, what rep ranges to use and when. And um, as nuanced as it got to, they had a lot of nice kind of practical implications and it was really cool to hear them talk about that. So, you know, they, they just basically said, you know, I kind of think like, what can I do now basically and, and tolerate, you know, if I've been doing high reps for a while, you know, could I go, does low reps seem more appealing? And then if I tax the low reps for a while, does going back to high seem appealing? And, you know, that was kind of a nice reminder for me to hear um, just because I kind of got into this, whole thing where I was, I've been maybe just rediscovering my training where I really got into these lower rep ranges, like six to eight on a lot of different motions. And I realized that that was, you know, making some of these progressions even more difficult than they needed to be. And I could potentially be 
you know, progressing and not even noticing week to week, right? So, um, it it, it kind of reminded me to, you know, if I if I do stall out with my training in the next, you know, few weeks or months, a very simple strategy could simply just be to lower the weight and start at a higher rep range, and then see if you can keep progressing from there. Because you know, maybe if you're at six to eight, you know. Um, trying to progress those reps, that's a pretty big, you know, increase from a week to week basis, um, especially if you've been progressing for a while already, right? So I think that's a good strategy to keep in the back of people's heads, you know, instead of maybe swapping up the movement, if it's a movement you feel is really good and there's not a better alternative, you know, just try and, you know, take the loading back, you know, maybe reset your form, um, higher rep range uh, and see how it goes from there. Did you listen to that podcast, Peter? I've not yet. I thought about listening to it on my way home because I, I saw it in the notes. Yeah. And I listened to, um, <laughs> I just listened to one song and repeat the whole way home. I was just jamming to it. It was the, uh, so I, uh, I watched um, RRR, the, um, uh, the Bollywood hit from 2022. Um, it's, um, uh, it's an Indian film. Uh, and there's a song from it called uh, Natu Natu, which is a banger. An absolute banger. Anyway, it brought a lot of energy to the table, and I just just drove home, just jamming. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, I hadn't listened to that yet. Um, but to to what you were saying, though, actually, that reflects pretty closely to what I did for this mesocycle, where I basically instead dropped all of my rep ranges a little bit uh, to see how progress looks on that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big change in rep ranges, and so there is kind of that. But I'll 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 I will listen to the video. And see if what I just said actually follows the, the the advice or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it, it's interesting with everyone talking. Um, you know, we're getting. I feel like we're getting to a point where everything. You know, the average consumer of bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman stuff. We're all kind of leveled up to maybe from where we were ten years ago, and some of these discussions that are coming out now are almost so nuanced. It's almost kind of hard to see the legitimacy of it. Like, you know, I know one of the things I took in was um, coming out of Chris Beardsley's camp where he was suggesting that the six to eight rep range is superior for hypertrophy because of this um, concept I've never really heard of called like calcium ion mediated, calcium ion fatigue or whatever, um, something going on at this cellular level. I'm not a, you know, I'm not that invested. I do remember this conversation in the uh, ATP chat. Yeah, I'm not that invested in, in, you know, cellular physiology or anything, but, um, and then, you know, I, I kind of been listening for some critiques of this, if I can, because I want to hear someone critique it so I can understand, you know, if it's legit without spending, you know, um, hours and hours scouring the internet, basically looking to see if it's legit or not. But, you know, I, I like, I guess it's, it's more of, of a mechanistic thing he's looking at that he's kind of theorizing that, but they kind of do touch on that in the podcast a little bit, you know, if, you know, they kind of talk a little bit about central fatigue. Um, And of course, you know, they have these studies that have been done where they see similar hypertrophy between these different rep ranges, right? Which is pretty much everyone agrees, like somewhere between six to 30 reps seems to be optimal, right? Mm -hmm. Good thing it's a narrow range for us to really pick from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. Well, see, that's all what I'm saying. It's like, you know, the six to 30 is the accepted thing. And now someone like Chris Beardsley is trying to challenge it by saying this is better because, right. But, you know, I, I find we're at such, such a, a point where there's all this information here. It's kind of becoming like, wow, we're really looking for things here to separate ourselves out. It's like, um, 
you know, portrayers of information or coaches or whatever. And it's almost to the point where I, I kind of question whether it's either worth investing my time in or not. Right. But, you know, at the mm-hmm. same time, it's, it's fun to research on the side when you have a little bit of spare time too. So give and take. Yeah. And there was a, a conversation that was being had, I think on the SBS podcast where um, they were talking about accumulated fatigue and I'm pretty sure Greg, uh, Greg Knuckles mentioned um, like, what is accumulated fatigue? Uh, I don't know. I think he said something along the lines of, we don't actually have any clear mechanism for what is accumulating, mm-hmm. like what, what it is that might be. So there's a lot of different things that, you know, could play a role there, but we don't really have any clear definitions of what is accumulating. Sure. It could be muscle damage. Sure. It could be calcium ions. Sure. There's like a lot of different things it might be, but none of those have been clearly answered yet. It's like, so it's, how do we, how do we test that? How do we figure it out? Like, is there actually a way to know, or we're just like, are we just theorizing all day here? Right. Yeah. So we can, we can look at mechanisms all the time, but it's like longitudinal data that's really going to make a difference. So, yeah. I mean, it looks pretty clear that, that rep ranges across a wide range are successful in, in many instances. So, yeah. but we need to, we need to get Jacob on here and chat about, that's right. Yeah. About this. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, man. Um, Sweet. I think this was a good one. I think we're we're averaging about an hour and a half unedited raw content. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Joe might take my piece about the rice crackers out. We'll see. But yeah, yeah. And if not, if he doesn't, you can also see uh, the 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 chip cracker here in this space. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Thanks, thanks, Joe, for all you do. <laughs> and that's for YouTube, of course. That's just the YouTube content. That's right. Uh, so uh, do we want to play, uh, play out with uh, advertising for our coaching? Absolutely. So um, if you folks are interested in coaching, uh, Peter is definitely uh, happy to take anyone on the strongman front or on the physique front. Um, myself, I would be happy to work with anyone who's looking to improve their physique and take maybe call it like a physique-based approach to training. Uh, so if you want to check out Peter's Instagram, uh, surge underscore of underscore strength or my Instagram, Connor.sagene or the ATP Instagram, uh, ATP.performance, I think it is. Yeah, I think I get that right. Um, check us out there. Uh, check us out on the website, Google ATP Performance. Uh, one of the first results will come up, will be our page. Uh, feel free to get, schedule a discovery call with one of our many qualified coaches. So uh, either with Peter or myself, we're still keeping regular office hours, I believe, for those calls. So um, if you're on board with us, we'd love to be on board with you. Indeed. We are exciting, fun people to uh, to work with. So just know that. Enjoy it. The The sweet content you get from this podcast is so, so similar to what you'll get in our training. That's Indeed. right. So expect 90-minute dialogues on things that Perfect. may or may not matter. That is a promise. Yeah. It's not a promise. We do, we are not legally binded by that promise. That's right. <laughs> All right, Connor, you have a good one. I think uh, I think we got a good a good chat in. Yeah. You too, Peter. Have a great night.